morning. As y'all saw on the uh, video, Jason is out of town. He and Lee are in um, Colorado visiting Lee's parents. He asked me a couple of weeks back, probably a month more, if I could speak this morning. Happy to do that. Um, if you've been here the past uh, couple of months, I think, we've been going through the book of Romans. But we're taking a break for just a bit. We kind of worked our way up kind of to a stopping point in chapter 4. But we're going to take a break for just a little bit. Uh, Jason's been praying about where to go with the message. And he just felt like it, we needed to take some time to focus on momentum. Talk about the momentum of the church. Momentum of, of us as a body of a believers. How we might foster that and, or sustain that. And um, he brought an initial message on that last week for the few small souls that were gathered here this Sunday before Mardi Gras Day. Um, and we're, I'm continuing that this morning, and he's going to continue in this message on momentum and, to, and just various different aspects of momentum for the next couple of Sundays, several Sundays, I think. So that's where we're going to be. I grew up in Alabama, uh, out in the country, really. And often, my brothers, my brother and my sister, but mostly my brother, my cousins, we live, I say right next door too, but that doesn't carry the same meaning as it does in the city. Next door was like half a mile away. Um, but we would often be in the woods. We would always be in the woods together, doing this, doing that, hunting, fishing. Um, most of the time, just exploring, just being out of the house, in the woods, getting into trouble <laughs> most of the time. Um, we would walk trails in our woods all the time. We had this uh, particular one where we liked to go down because it led to the, a creek, a fair-sized creek in the, kind of the back part of our property uh, that was fast-running water. And it was interesting, this particular trail that I'm thinking about, because at this certain point you had two different, um, two different things we loved to, to mess around with, is the best way to put it. One is, is, the, is the creek. It's fast-running water. You could get in there and play around, and there's some drop-off points where it got kind of deep, and you could, you could jump in there, and it'd be up to your neck, and we love that. Uh, but the other side, on the other side of the, the trail, was a beaver pond. Uh, the beavers had got in there, and there was a creek, a small creek, that ran into the, the larger river and uh, fed into it, but they had dammed that up, and, you know, they were living there, I guess, but you would find all kinds of wildlife over there. there you always find birds of some, one kind or another. We would bring our BB guns down there and, and have fun. But a lot of times you jump up uh, a deer. You find deer down there. Uh, you, we found, you find beavers. You find otters. There's just snakes. That was one of the things we loved to get into was finding some snakes down there. But there's two different, what I'm thinking about here, and what I want you to see, maybe you've been to something like this, or, or you can at least see it in your mind's eye. The, um, the, the interchange of two different bodies of water. One's fast flowing, one's moving, it's happening. It's got momentum. And the other is dammed up and it's stagnant. So we, we obviously want to engage in a movement that's moving and gaining ground and happening and, and moving forward. And we don't want to be in a movement that's stagnant and, and stale and lacks body, lacks life. You know, lacks anything exciting. Um, and that's what we're hoping out of this message series, to help our church and, and our growing body believers to engage in that second type of river, that second type of body of water that's moving, okay? Um, I think, as I thought about this, that if you're in, a, if you're in a, any kind of movement, if you're in any, any kind of grassroots movement that maybe you've been involved in before, you've got to have at least three things for it to be effective. One, you've got to have a message. Two, you've got to have a mission. And you've got to have some might 
I use that for alliteration purposes, but some source of power. You know, it's gotta, something's got to be driving it or it's just going to die. So a message, a mission, and might. And if you think of something, I, I was trying to think of something that maybe we all can relate to, uh, some, some movement that we've seen or been a part of or know about. I was, you know, trying to, to use my imagination to think of something like that. And here's what I thought of. The 2008 presidential campaign. Who did the Democratic Party put up as a nominee? Barack Obama. All right. I'm going out on a limb here that maybe we can engage in this. But, so they put up Barack Obama. I, I would contend that the Democratic Party under Barack's leadership had a message, had a mission, and had some source of power or something that was pushing that movement so that they could accomplish their goal. All right. What was, their, what was his message? Change. Uh, y'all got that. I was hoping y'all, that's what I thought of. That's change. He was the change candidate. Now, everybody, every candidate wants to be a change candidate, but Barack Obama had a lot of things going for him that helped him to be the change candidate. What was, what was his mission? That's not a trick question. What was his mission? Better. Yeah. <laughs> it may be changed too, but did, somebody said it. To get elected. To get elected. That's what, that's what his mission was. That's what his goal, the goal of the Democratic Party was. Okay, this is maybe a little bit more complex and maybe more options here, but what was his, his might or his source of power? What was driving that campaign? <laughs> Modern 21st century. Dissatisfaction. Yeah, dissatisfaction with the, with the previous regime. What else? Young people. That's a, that's a big one. That, no, I, I, media. What about money? There's all kinds of people that were also wanting to run for president, but they didn't have the money to get it done. All these things are aspects of it. Um, all the resources of the Democratic Party that were behind him once he was a, the nominee to push him forward, to push that momentum forward. There was lots of different aspects, but there were things that were driving it, that were pushing it forward. And at least by the electoral vote, he, he won a, almost by a landslide by all these things working together. So I thought that was a good example of somebody who had a message, he had a mission, and he had a lot of things going for him, that power or might that was behind him, okay? Um, our church body needs to discover and engage in our message, what our mission is, and our source of power or might. We need to rely on that. And I think we I found a passage of Scripture that will help us uh, discover that and engage in that. Turn to Luke chapter 24, the very last section, last few verses of Luke chapter 24. going to be in verses 45, starting in verse 45. Just to give you a, a kind of a background or context where we're at in this passage, Luke chapter 24, Jesus has, at the beginning of it, Jesus has, has died on the cross. He's been buried in the tomb. And the women have come to the grave and found him not there. There's angels who are proclaiming this message. They're kind of confused, but they go back uh, to the disciples who are even further confused, like, what are you trying to say? Uh, some disciples uh, had to take a trip uh, to a, a small village called Emmaus. They were on the way to Emmaus, and somebody shows up that begins preaching to them why Jesus, all these things had to come to pass. And they're like, who is this guy? And then it turns out it was Jesus. And as soon as they recognize it was Jesus, he disappears. They come back uh, to Jerusalem to meet the brothers and tell them about this amazing um, experience and come to find out Peter has also met the risen Christ. We don't have that story in Scripture. You see it several times. There are several places where Paul or some of the other apostles confirmed that Peter met Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, but we don't actually have that. But that happened. 
They're all sharing their stories and talking about what going on, what's going on and what it means. And then Jesus shows up in the midst of them and proves to everybody, takes away to all the apostles that are there, takes away any doubt that he has indeed risen from the dead. And then he begins in this passage, he begins to explain to them what it means, what, why all these things had to come to pass, and what mission he's now turning over to them. So Luke chapter 24, I'm going to start in verse 45. And I need to turn there because I haven't done that yet. I've been talking. He told them, this is what is written. I'm sorry. Then he opened their minds. That's verse 45. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Bow your heads with me. Let me pray. Father God, as we just open up your word, as we read um, the things that have been handed down to us from our spiritual forefathers, I ask that your Holy Spirit would empower me uh, to exegete this word and to preach it faithfully, God. And uh, I ask that your Holy Spirit would show up among us and speak to each heart here, God. Maybe things uh, that I'm not saying that someone needs to hear this morning. Maybe things that, that, um, that I am saying that, that could be clearer. Or maybe things that you just want to teach each one of us here, God. I ask that your Holy Spirit would meet us here, God. Uh, help us to set aside anything that would um, draw us aside, any care, any worry, any encumbrance, any sin, God. Help us to lay that aside and to just... With open hands, receive what you have for us this morning as we, as we hear your word, hear it preached, and apply it to our lives and to the, to the mission of this church, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I think the message that is um, intrinsic to this passage is centered on verses 45 to 46. He opened up their minds so that they could understand the, understand the scriptures, and he told them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Now that, that little phrase, parts of that phrase right there, it's not the first time in this chapter that that's been seen. It's seen the three times. If you look in chapter 24, back in verse 6 or 7, this is what the angels are proclaiming. The angels proclaim to the women at the tomb. They said, He is not here. He is risen. Remember how He told you while He was still with you in Galilee? He said, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his word. So that's one instance where he's saying almost the same thing that he's saying in 45 and 46. Another instance is in verse 25 and through, through roughly 27. The man that met them on the road to Emmaus, which was actually Jesus, he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, prophets he explained to them what was said and all the scriptures concerning himself. And then again, uh, in these passages, he says, This is what has been written from long ago. The Christ will suffer. This, this aspect of must or will or have to, I think that's important. God is saying, this is my plan. There is no other plan. This is it. I went back, I was, I was meditating on this, and I, I found, listen to these scriptures. These, these scriptures, when I read these things, these just blow my mind. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He, meaning Jesus, 
He was chosen before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world, He was chosen. But was revealed in these last times for your sake. Before God created anything else, He chose Jesus Christ to be the, to be the Messiah. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Peter, Paul, I mean, talks of a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, God promised before the beginning of time. Before the creation of the world, before the beginning of time, this was God's plan. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, talks about a book, where the, a book of life, where, who, where the names of those who are saved will be written. It speaks of all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. That's the false prophet in the book of Revelation. That is, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain before the creation of the world. This has been God's time before he, any, any part of the universe, the physical universe, came to be. Even time, I think, as we know it, came to be created if, if God created time. This has been God's plan, that the Messiah would suffer and die on the cross. He would be placed in the grave, that he would rise again the third day. This is God's plan. There is no other plan. This is it. That blows my mind to think that this is from before He created anything else, before Adam and Eve walked or made, made any choice for good or bad, God knew in His foreknowledge. He knew what was going to happen, and He said, I have a plan for that. I've accounted for that. I've accounted for every person's sin that's ever walked on this earth and every choice that they've made, every wicked thing, every wicked thought. I have a plan to make it right. That blows my mind. Before anything came to be, this has been God's plan. This is part of the message that Jesus spoke to the apostles. He said that the prophets of old spoke about these things. And I thought of a few passages. If you want to turn to Isaiah 53, this is an amazing passage that prophesies about the ministry of Jesus Christ and speaks a little bit more about the plan that God has had from time immemorial. Isaiah 53, um, it's the you go to the book of Psalms, kind of turn to the middle of your Bible, the book of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then well, the Song of Solomon is kind of stuck there in the middle. And then Isaiah 53. For a long time, um, scholars thought that Isaiah 53 was placed into the Bible late, like maybe even after Jesus Christ, because of the things that it, you read it and you're like, okay, that's got to be talking about Jesus. And scholars have thought how could they know this much about what was coming in the Messiah and the coming in the ministry of Jesus? Somebody had to place that in there. And then they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1950. And those scrolls have been dated to like around the time of Jesus, but they were written down 200 years before that, at least, and just passed down through the generations until they were buried in Qumran. And those scrolls, in effect, prove that Isaiah, what we're going to read, was well before, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years hundreds of years before Jesus Christ walked on the earth. Verse 10 in Isaiah 53. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. Speaking of God's servant here. And this was back in, harkens back to the last chapter, 52 verse 13. Speaking of God's servant. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will again see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, or some versions that I like better say, by, by the knowledge of him, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. 
He will bear their iniquities, and his life will be made a guilt offering. That is this classic um, Jewish speak. Uh, for all the sacrifices in the Old Testament, when you place the sin on the scapegoat, or you placed God's absolving the nation or the tribe's sin, this is what Jesus does for everybody. People's sin are absolved because his life was made a guilt offering on the cross. And the, the apostles didn't get that. They didn't understand why Jesus had to die. And he's explaining to them, this is, this is why it had to happen. And it was foretold from long ages past. Another, another scripture is, Psalm, is in Psalm 16. David writes, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest securely because you will not abandon me to, to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And the apostles, when Jesus was risen up again, they they remembered that verse and they said, you know, David, he may have been talking about himself, about how he knows one day he's going to be resurrected, but when he talks about his Holy One right there, that, that was really centered in on the Messiah, the ministry of the Messiah. That was the Holy Spirit prophesying that Jesus will not stay in the grave. He will rise up from the dead. And they, Peter preached that on the day of Pentecost. He preached that and said, this is what was prophesied by the, the, um, the prophet David. So these are just some scriptures that I think, it doesn't say that in Luke 24, that these were the exact scriptures that Jesus opened up their minds to understand. But if you read uh, the rest of the New Testament, you know, Luke continued on with the book of Acts. These were the things that the apostles were preaching. So I really believe this is what Jesus explained to them. This is what the apostles, prophets of old were saying this has been the message that god has been giving to mankind for thousands from where we're at for thousands of years that the messiah must suffer the son of man must suffer and that he will die and that he will rise again the third day and that message is intricately tied to the mission the mission is spoken of in verse 47 and 48 of luke it says in repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. The mission is to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. Now, the point of the message, you know, it's, it's, it's good to understand what happened back in the day that Jesus walked on the earth, that He did miracles, that He died on the cross. That's part of the message. That He rose again the third day. That He suffered, He died, and He rose again. I would submit to you this morning that, hear me out on this, it's not enough just to believe that happened. Let me clear in what I'm saying. You do have to believe that happened. You have to believe that that really happened in space and time. It's a historical fact. It's not just some, something taken on faith that doesn't really matter if it, it doesn't really matter if it happened or not. My faith can make it meaningful. No, you have to believe that really happened. But what I'm saying is, believing that that really happened 2,000 years ago, that's not enough. You can, you can have a mental assent that says, yeah, I believe that really happened. But I submit that doesn't make you right with God if that's all you've got. If you just say, yeah, I believe that really happened. I believe Jesus really walked on the earth, he did miracles, he died on the cross, he rose again the third day. You've got to appropriate what that means for you in your life. It's got to have some meaning for you personally. Why does that mean anything? Why is it important that those things happened? Is it just some neat historical fact? Or does it have some real spiritual power in your life? And this is what Jesus is talking about. The mission is to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins in His name. Forgiveness of sins is what our need is. If, it, if that message doesn't reach our need, 
We need to be made right with God because we're estranged from God because of our sins. Then the message is useless. It doesn't, it doesn't accomplish what it was sent to accomplish if we don't appropriate that for our life, if we don't engage in repentance for forgiveness of sins. And this is the mission that God has given us, to take that message to people so that everyone, all humanity, can engage in repentance for forgiveness of sins. Um, the Old Testament mission, if you will, kind of was, there's, there's two aspects. If you think of the power of a movement, um, I'm thinking of the two different physical, like physics um, objects. One spin, they both spin but one spins things outward like a merry-go-round. If you're on a merry-go-round, you, you're kind of holding on the outside. You're wanting to fall off because it's spinning things outward. But there's another aspect of a spinning object. If you think of the, um, I saw this. I bet everybody saw this the, in the um, tsunami that hit Japan the day before yesterday. The um, tidal, not the tidal wave, but the uh, whirlpool, thank you. The whirlpool that was spinning in that boat was caught in it. And it wasn't spinning things out. It was sucking things down. All right, I submit, and this is one of the things that, that I think I've learned uh, in school, that the mission of the Old Testament church, the Old Testament believers, if you will, that wasn't really a church, but the Old Testament saints, they were sucking people in to meet God. Their mission was to bring people in, into the, into the Jewish faith, into the temple, as, as, as far as they could get. Um, come in and meet God. This is the law that God has given us, all the good ways that God has told us to live and to walk this is what God has come in, and, and the fame of God was supposed to reach out and draw people in, kind of like that whirlpool. That's centripetal force, I believe. Centrifugal force, on the other hand, we're familiar with that, I know that word. It throws things out. It's like the merry-go-round, and that's the mission of the church today. The Old Testament mission was to pull people in. Our mission is to be thrown out and to go out and meet the people and to take the message out to where people aren't seeking God. They aren't actively thinking about God and being right with Him. But everyone these days, everyone from since time, since Adam and Eve has been wanting to live their own way and live their own life and engage in how they want to do things, make their own choices, come out from under God's headship and God's leadership. People aren't thinking about holy things and righteous things. Our mission is to go out, have mercy on them, meet them where they're at, and carry this message that brings repentance and forgiveness of sins to them. This mission, uh, and especially this aspects of repentance, is intimately tied, and we don't like to talk about this these days, is guilt. It's intimately tied to guilt. When John the Baptist came and began the, his mission and his ministry that would really kick off the um, entry of the Messiah onto the earth, his ministry was all about repentance and about guilt. He told the um, Pharisees who came out to meet him, he said, when he saw the Pharisees, this is from Matthew chapter 3, he said, when he saw the many, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. All through the New Testament, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they're condemned by, here by John the Baptist, but often by Jesus. They were not, they were, had a form of righteousness, but nothing that had any power. Often it says that they would, they would trick um, the widows, trying to scheme them out of their houses. And there's all kinds of wicked things that, that they were doing kind of on the sly, under the table. Even though on the outside they were showing all this godly life, they were not righteous. 
Jesus said, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. You have to be holy and righteous. John the Baptist was saying, you're guilty. And repentance is intimately tied to guilt. Repentance, exactly what it means. If you get back into the, the meaning of the word, it means to turn around. It means to recognize that the path you're on is the wrong path, that you're walking down the wrong road. Maybe you've been wanting to go down this road. You've been choosing to go down this road. You've been choosing to live your own life. But you come to a point of repentance and say, this is not good this way I'm living. I recognize that, and I want to do a 180, and I want to turn and go the other way because that's the godly path. That's the right path. And it, it, it has to do with guilt. You have to recognize that you're a sinner, that you have offended God by sinful choices that you've made, selfish choices that you've made, and that you want, you want forgiveness of those choices. You want to be made right with God. Um, one of the verses that I, that I noticed in the earlier part of the chapter, the, um, when the guys were walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and they were talking about all the things that happened, and Jesus was kind of, kind of playing dumb. He's like, what happened? What are y'all talking about? And they said, don't you know these things? All these things that happened to Jesus. But in verse 21... It says, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Or what that word means is free Israel from Roman rule is probably how they exactly looked at it. But what it means was to restore Israel. We thought that this was going to be the Messiah who came and ruled all the earth from his throne in Jerusalem and that he was going to set everything right the way it's supposed to be because the Jews are God's people and they, they have everything they, have, they know the way, and we're supposed to be the leaders of the earth, and Messiah was going to set Jerusalem back in its rightful place on the earth. And in a sense, that is what Jesus came to do, just not in the, quite the way they thought of it. They thought of it as a political movement. Jesus did come to set things right. He came to set people right with God. And that's our mission. That's our mission, to take this message and say, you can be right with God. It begins in repentance for the forgiveness of sins, but it's for the redemption of mankind so that you can be made right with God again. That's the mission of this church, to take that message to people, to proclaim it to those who aren't thinking of God at all. And sometimes, you know, I wrestle with that. Um, and there's some writing on that. There's different views about this in the, in the church maybe, especially the broader church if you count um, all the denominations that have come from Christianity. But there's different views on how you proclaim the message. Is it right to come to people who are living their own life, not coming into church, not um, seeking God in any way, not reading the Bible, not asking you about anything? You know what I mean? They're oblivious to spiritual, and they want to remain oblivious. <laughs> or maybe they've got a, maybe they've got a different maybe they've got a different religious tradition, totally different. I'm not talking about a difference between, say, Catholicism and Baptist or something like that. I'm talking about the difference between Christianity and Hinduism or Christianity and Islam or Christianity and Buddhism. Is it right to go to those people and say, no, this is the way. We have a message and a mission that you must hear and come to them in humility. Is that right? People have wrestled with that. Jesus said, Luke chapter 24, that this message of repentance and forgiveness will be preached in His name to all nations, all peoples. It's for, the message and the mission is for all peoples. Beginning at Jerusalem where the Jewish people were, but spreading out with centrifugal force throughout the whole world. And He says, you are witnesses of these things. The apostles saw Jesus Christ risen from the dead. They encountered Him physically. They began to spread that message throughout the whole world. But we have now, they have now entrusted that message to us. And we are to take that message to all peoples. The message is for all peoples. Now, I do believe that we should go humbly. Paul talks about walking in wisdom.
towards those who are outside the faith. That's one of my favorite verses. When you come to somebody, there is a wisdom. You don't come and banging them over the head with the scripture. And, and often, I, I don't even think you come just saying, hey, the Bible says this, and you're not living this way. You need to do this. You have to come in wisdom towards people. Talk to them. Ask questions. Find out where they're at. Ask what they believe. Ask how they're living. Ask how that gives them satisfaction in, the, in this life, how they have any hope for what's going to happen after this life. Questions really are the best way to, talk, to walk in wisdom towards those who are without the faith. But we must do it. This is the mission that God has given us and given this church. We are to be witnesses to these things, to the message and the mission. But as we go... Is it just, and I don't think I've tried to portray that this morning, but sometimes we can get caught up in this. Is it just like a seven-step process? Can we just get down some steps of how to, how to go out and spread the gospel or how to, um, how to take that message, and this is how you do it? If you get these steps down, this will, this will accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. Or this church, the, the mission of this church, if we can just give me some steps that I can follow, is there a magic bullet? The answer to that is always no. If anybody ever says magic bullet, it's always no. There's no magic bullet. But there is no magic bullet. There's nothing, there's no magic way you do it. And even if one person does it the same way as another person, one might be successful and the other not. Why is that? Because the power has to be present for the message to accomplish its mission. For us to accomplish our mission, there's got to be power present. And Jesus wraps up his his sermon, I guess, to the apostles here, talking about that power. He says, God will send. I am going to send what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, it's interesting to me. This is an allusion to something that, <clears throat> obviously, something that he said before, but it's not recorded in Luke. It's not recorded in Matthew. It's not even recorded in Mark, the first gospel. It's recorded in the book of John. In the book of John, actually in a couple of different chapters, John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus talks there about the Holy Spirit. Several different ways he comes at it, and he says, this is the Spirit that's going to come. Chapter 14, verse 15 of John, Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. This is what Jesus promised would come. The Holy Spirit is where our power comes from. And Jesus said, wait on the Holy Spirit. You can go out and try to do things on your own. You can get all these plans in your mind about how we're going to do this, or we're going to do that, and all these things are going to work. Or you can set down a seven-step process. If you, just, if you just do this, 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 and live this holy life, this, 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 and this is going to happen, and we'll win people for Christ if we just follow these steps. It doesn't work like that. It'd be nice if we could just have this outline of just do this, do this, do this, and the church will be fabulously successful. But that's not how it works. The Holy Spirit is the one that works in people's hearts. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers our ministry. The Holy Spirit is the one that keeps us clean and keeps us right. Listen, I, I thought of these um, ministries of the Holy Spirit or ways that we engage with the Holy Spirit. The New Testament says do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It says do not quench the Holy Spirit. Some of these are positive and some are negative. These are kind of negative aspects, what you should not do. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit or quench the Holy... Like, don't put out... When you think of quench, it's like putting out a fire. Don't put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. It's trying to burn in you and it's trying to build up and, and inflame you and everyone around you. Don't quench that. Don't put it out. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't make choices in your life that cause the Holy Spirit to go, ugh, I wish they wouldn't do that. Sorry. 
Those are kind of negative aspects, but there are positive aspects. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going somewhere. It's going somewhere in your sphere of influences and the people that you work around, that you live around, that you encounter when you go out for, for recreation or for whatever that's going on in your life. The Holy Spirit wants to step in certain places and to lead you in certain aspects. Keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit says, I want to go over here and I want you to talk to this person and be listening to what they say so I can speak to them through you. Keep in step with the Spirit. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a difficult one. That's kind of, pa- it's kind of passive. It's not anything you can actively do other than getting out of the way and let the Holy- ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you up because that is where our power is. If we're going to accomplish our mission and, fulfill- and take this message that God has given us to the nations that are around us, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we have to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do His work. I think this is, this is the message, this is the mission, and this is the might or the power that our small growing congregation has that will propel momentum in this church. And if we can, if we can recognize these things, maybe meditate on these things that I brought this morning and um, see if they're true. Be a Berean believer, see if they're true. But let's engage in them together. As each one of us is engaging, one's stepping out on a mission, one's testifying how he brought a message, one is is telling us how they kept in step with the Holy Spirit. We're sharing that in our smaller groups as we meet. It's going to build this synergy that builds momentum for this church that draws people in, kind of like the Old Testament, but we have to remember we have to keep going out. We can't just expect the culture to come seeking us out. We have to go to the culture. I'm going to close this in prayer, Eric, if you guys want to come up. Uh, to lead us in song, kind of a song of response, a song of maybe meditation on what the Scriptures have spoke to us this morning. Um, I'm going to close this in prayer. Holy Spirit, we recognize that You are here among us, uh, that You are in our lives, whether we're, we're here gathered for church or not. You are in our lives. And my prayer is that we would just get out of the way, Spirit, and allow you to work in our lives, allow you to empower our message that accomplishes your mission. My prayer, Holy Spirit, is that we would not um, quench you, not put you out, um, not say, I don't want to do that right now, God. I know I'm guilty of that. That we would not grieve you, Holy Spirit, that we would not step into things that makes you cringe or makes you um, retreat from us. because we're doing things that would sadden you or that would um, make you angry, Holy Spirit. I ask that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you would fill us up as we leave this place and send us out, God. Be slinging us out into our spheres of influence. Sling us out into the lives of people who are lost and who need you and need to hear this message. Maybe there are some here today, God, who have been pulled in by the truth who have heard rumors of you, Jesus Christ, and they want to know the truth. And they're opening up your word and they're seeking for truth and they're seeking for power in their lives and they're seeking to be redeemed, to be made right with you and for their lives to be reestablished in closeness to you and in the purpose that you have for their lives, God. My prayers for them this morning um, that they would repent for the forgiveness of sins, God. They would do that personally with you and, and then that they would share it with others, God. Share it with others in this church so that um, your word can be fulfilled and your name glorified, God. 
Thank you for this hour and for this time, God. May it be meaningful in our lives in the upcoming week, in the upcoming months, and for the mission of this church to gain momentum in this community, God, and to see, not, not for this church's glory, not for anybody, I know Jason would say the same thing, not for his glory, not for the glory of those who are you know, working diligently here, God, but for your glory, not for us, O oh Lord, but unto your name be glory and honor and praise forever and ever. Amen. some room for the Holy Spirit to kind of work in this. So I want us to just calm ourselves and maybe ask for God to speak to us right now. And it's always kind of in these times when we say, God, you know, speak in 15 minutes. But he doesn't tend to want to just oblige that because sometimes our heart is not in it. But I am going to just ask for God to speak in the next few minutes to us. Lord, just say, Father, I I pray that you would reveal to us if we have um, quenched your spirit. Father, I want you to reveal to us just as individuals, Lord, if we have um, grieved your spirit. Because, Father, words are just words, but when when your spirit is behind it, they are powerful. They are effective, God. They speak life into people. They change lives, Lord. And that's what we want. Not just empty words, Lord, but words that would go out and, and not come back without um, accomplishing what you would want, Lord. So we, we trust in your holy word and your presence, God, that we would take that in, Lord, and get to know you. Father, prepare our hearts maybe just to see an outpouring of your spirit, God, that we um, would speak to people and know what to say because your spirit has told us what to speak, that we would have a spirit of boldness and not timidity. Father, that we would pray prayers with expectation that you would actually answer them and not just speak words out loud. Christ, you who suffered the suffering servant, Lord, that you have fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, God, and that reminder to us, Lord, how specific you were in Isaiah so many hundreds of years ago, and so exact, Lord. Strengthen our faith, Lord. Strengthen our hearts, our minds. Let us take heart, take courage, and take risks on behalf of you, Lord in an environment that does not really uh, promote that, Lord. We ask for that, Lord. Just speak to us, Lord. I ask for that now.